And, uh, you know, it was a very humbling experience to get blown out like that. And hopefully I did that part of my narrative a good service in that book by just letting people know, hey, you can make mistakes. I made a ton of them, but it's how you pick yourself up and how you go about forgiving yourself to move on uh, so that you don't live a life of uh, too many regrets. Not that I haven't had regrets. It's just that I am willing to forgive myself for stupid things that I've done in my life. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start It Up podcast, a member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm not going to lie, today, a little nervous for this one. Uh, I am interviewing Anthony Scaramucci. He is the author of the bo- new book, Trump, the Blue Collar President. Matter of fact, that book just came out last week. He also has the title of maybe the shortest lived title of White House Communications Director. He was there for 11 days. Part of the book is about that. The other thing is, is a part of the book is about how uh, President Trump has essentially won the hearts of blue collar. Now, whether you agree with him or not, one of the reasons why I wanted to have him on is because I wanted it to make a conversation. Full disclosure, um, there's been a couple of things that he has tweeted about personal finance and education. And so I found those things had a, a couple of back and forth of them, and, and I found him to be a genuinely uh, decent guy. Now, do I agree with everything he says? No. Have I already received some emails expressing my their disappointment in the fact that I'm interviewing Anthony? Yes. And that's the reason why I'm going to interview him. I don't have to agree with all of your politics to want to have a conversation. Matter of fact, in this interview, I bring up some facts that I don't like about the president. And we don't name call each other. We don't label each other. And I think it was one of the most important things that I wanted to get out of this. I understand if you don't want to listen to this podcast. However, I will say it is, it is not mean-spirited. There is no bad language. It's, it's, it's pleasant. And actually, even exceeding my expectations is, you know, after the, the – well, we had about a 15-minute conversation before our press record and just to kind of set the tone and let him know that – you know, my feelings on some of the situations. And then after it was over, I said, hey, that went well. Mind you, mind if I ask for a copy for a listener? And he says, a copy? How about I get you 10 signed copies? So all in all, uh, I was pleased. Um, I'll let you decide uh, whether, you know, you enjoy the podcast or not. But I will say, please, please listen to it if you... Um, if you're going to have a hard time with what he might say. Um, if you still disagree, I totally understand. That's part of it. and Didn't agree with everything as well. Um, but I, again, I wanted to model behavior of having a civil discussion instead of me uh, name-calling. Matter of fact, in some of the interviews I have watched that he has been on, um, boy, it was uh, some really hostile behavior. And, and I have to say, he was nothing but uh, professional in all of them. So... I guess if you want to um, be in the drawing, please go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash start ed up, and just leave a comment like, I want to win a book, or I didn't like the episode, or I did like the episode, or whatever. We'll, we will select 10 people randomly. Lastly, and at the end of the episode, he talks about this, he has a podcast of his own with his wife, Deidre. It is called Mooch in the Misses. So if you want to check that out, it is on iTunes or anywhere else podcasts are supported. All right, I'm excited about this one. Let me know what you think. Without further ado, Anthony Scaramucci. All right, it is with great joy that I have on Anthony Scaramucci, the author of the new book, 
Trump, the blue collar president. Anthony, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. P- pleasure to be on. I really appreciate it, Doug. Okay, so um, I, I've connected with you a couple times, and it was some back and forth on Twitter. And really, what I had originally wanted to talk to you about, and this is before I knew you had the book. Actually, this has been some time, so the book wasn't ready yet. But y- you've made a couple points about financial literacy. And before we get into the political stuff, I, I think one of the ties that binds both your books, uh, actually all three of your books, and, and some of the polarization we are in is just, in some cases, lack of financial awareness. So before we get into, again, the, the Trump presidency and everything else uh, of that nature, talk to me. Actually, no, look, look at this 17-year-old listening right now or the parent right now and talk to me about the importance of financial literacy in either education or in the, the family environment? Well, I mean, for some reason, the educational system and the public school teachers and their course curriculum, they've, they've decided to purposely avoid home finance. Uh, they just decided personal finance, they're leaving out of the equation. And so I, I questioned that even when I was in high school, and that's been the case 36 years later. And so um, I don't want to have that discussion because I'm sure there's a much broader idea about why that is. But, but what, I, what I worry about in our system today is that there are easy ways for people to do a few smart, disciplined things, and that will lead them to be in a savings category that's quite substantial. And so as an example... Uh, there's a there's a great very famous book called The Richest Man in in, in Babylon by George Clason C L A S O N. I read that when I was a kid, uh, and uh, and I uh, basically um, I took that and I and I practiced it. What was it? Pay yourself ten percent of everything that you're earning, sweep it into a savings account or to a stock account, and and that immeasurably helped me through my life. And so the same way you've got a cable bill or the same way you have a uh, you know, bill on iTunes or you pick the bills, your Microsoft, if you're a kid, you're, you're buying uh, Fortnite dollars, you pay 10% of it to yourself. You can go on Acorn or you can pick a, uh, an ETF platform or you can go on Wealthfront or Betterment. And lo and behold, slowly but surely, you'll incrementally start the process of savings and then you'll start the, the compounding, which I think is the most interesting mathematical property ever. I said on Barstool Sports, uh, these guys were breaking my chaps, but I, I said to them, let me ask you, if you had a choice between $10,000 a day for 30 days, or I handed you a magic penny and that magic penny could double in value every day for the 30 days, what would you want? And if you go on the internet and you look at that uh, very famous parable, uh, that magic penny turns into $5.4 million. Yep. It's a way to dramatically explain to a kid the benefit of just sitting there and grinding it out. Warren Buffett's 88 years old. He's worth 40 or $50 billion. Uh, and don't get me wrong. He's arguably one of the best investors in the world. But the main reason why he's such a good investor is that he's limiting his mistakes. He's very focused on preservation of capital and savings deployment. So, so, so anyway, I mean, for me, we should be doing way more of that, Don, uh, and we're not. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. I, 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 I was raised under that same premise. My dad, you know, had the pay yourself first mentality, you know, like he's like, Don, most people, you know, go through the paycheck and at the end of the month, whatever they have left, they save, or you can start off the month by tucking away 10 or 15%. And then whatever is left, he says, because if you're down to your last few dollars, you're not going to buy, you know, soda and candy bars. And uh, those are things that, that I've, or heck, I remember it was that 1997, <laughs> my dad called me. He had this serious tone on his voice. He's like, okay, Don, there's a new thing called the Roth IRA. And I swear to you, if you go a traditional IRA, well, that's just crazy. So <laughs> I've been blessed to have a parents that, you know, my dad was a teacher and my mom was a stay-at-home mom, which actually kind of makes her a teacher as well. And yeah, we, we knew that we didn't have an abundance of money, but savers and investors win. So I, I, Every time I, I try to talk to students, anytime I get an opportunity, I always do because, you know, some of us are going to have, you know, some of us will go into math, some of us will go into science, some of us will go into the arts, but we'll all know, or should know how to, to manage money. So I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, okay, so let's, let's also dive in. And this is one of the reasons why I want to start with that. You have either made people scratch their heads or way people think what your the title of your book is Trump the blue collar president and as soon as i read the title i knew what you're going to get at and i think that it has a lot to do with you know the economics of it tell me like like first of all go into the book and why you decided to like really unveil why the trump presidency had gone after the the blue collar base well, I, I think, you know, for me, I thought I had an interesting voice in this, Don, because I grew up in a blue-collar family. You know, my dad was a heavy crane operator, a payloader operator. He was in a union, spent 42 years at the same construction company. I can remember my mom putting his lunch pail in the refrigerator when I was a kid. And so, uh, and, and our neighborhood had telephone pole operators, electricians, plumbers. I mean, it wasn't a lot of college graduates in my neighborhood, the one that I grew up in. And so for me, um, those people, again, whether you like the president, dislike the president, those people have voted for Donald J. Trump. And I try to explain in the book, the president may have been born with a golden toilet seat, and he may have an apartment uh, that was decorated by Louis XIV on crystal meth. Uh, but he is certainly a guy... Uh, that can have a sandwich with somebody or a Big Mac. And he's certainly a guy that can go into these rural, suburban, even urban areas and speak the language of blue collar people. I was at an event last night on Long Island uh, campaigning for uh, one of the congressmen out there. And we had union leaders there. And they wouldn't have been there 30 years ago. They would have been tied to the Democratic Party. So I thought I had had an interesting voice because I've done reasonably well in my life, uh, went to some fancy schools, built some successful businesses, but I did grow up in a neighborhood like that. So I want to explain to people why my family and why the people that I'm from support and like the president. And, and, and just my last quick point, there's been a 30-year vacuum of advocacy for those people. Uh, and the Democrats missed it. So did the establishment Republicans. And he saw it, and I think it's important to understand why, because going into 2016, we'll all be better served if both parties focus on those people, uh, because we have to figure out a way to raise their living standards. Uh, you bring up several points that I'm 
shaking my head over here on saying, yes, I, I, let me unpack a few of those. Number one, yes, I totally agree. The, the one thing I needs to possibly start is just what we're doing now. And that's having a conversation. I'm, you know, I'm not cutting you off. I, I, to do my research, I've also watched some of your recent interviews and I'm not going to name names. People can, heck, people seen a lot of them, but the way you've been treated, it has been like the people taking jabs and shots at, at our, at our president for the record. No, I don't. I'm not, I didn't vote for him, but at the same time, like I want to have discussions. What has been going right? I want to validate and the things that I find concerning. I also want to bring up, but I'm not going to call his supporters. I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw labels on them. And I think that that's the thing that's, that's scaring me the most is like, there's some serious work to do. And instead of, just shouting, you know, whether you're, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm actually, I shouldn't even say it. Like, you know, the, these really bad um, labels that we're throwing on each other, we're not getting to the real point. And, and by the way, this obviously didn't start with him. I mean, I had some serious issues when, when President Obama would do something right. I'm like, damn it, acknowledge it. Like, acknowledge it. Like, you can't deny that these policies are good. Well, yeah, but he said this. And then conversely, when, uh, you know, when our president now does something right, if it is right, then acknowledge it. The things that he's doing wrong, sure, do that too. But this constant name calling and constant, if you believe this, then you must be that, is just, it's hard to watch in this country. And it, it's making me so sad because it's now everybody's being backed into a corner and now you're either team Republican or team Democrat. And, and I don't see a whole lot of, people that are trying to find the middle be championed or even rewarded. Matter of fact, I, I, I see more people trying to find middle ground and I consider myself among them to, you know, be chastised. You know, I to full disclosure when I, you know, every now and then I'm like, Hey, I'm looking forward to interviewing this guest. I put out there that I was going to interview you and I got, how dare you? I'm like, what, why? Um, you know, I'm going to have a conversation with people and just because I may have a few disagreements or a lot of disagreements, you should be able to have a conversation. Well, I mean, I think one of the reasons why is people don't, you know, for some reason, my Twitter haters and that sort of stuff, they want my voice delegitimized. They don't want my intellectual capacity shared. And so, and that's fine because I disagree with them on a lot of directional things that are happening in the country. And so, but for me, if you've seen my interviews, I've gone into the lion's den on more than one occasion. And I'm happy to have that battle in the marketplace of ideas. I never attack anybody personally. I never make it personal, uh, but I will have a conversation with people that I, I try to be rational. And, and, and by the way, you know, you mentioned libertarianism. So for me, I, I don't care who marries who. And I certainly don't care, uh, you know, what you're doing in your bedroom. I think that the irony of these uh, conservatives, they want a smaller government uh, everywhere in your life, except in your bedroom. They've decided they want a larger government in your bedroom. They're going to tell you who you can be with and who, who, who can make you happy in your life. I find that revolting. So, so for me, um, you know, I, I can't fit in either of these parties. I can't fit in a box. Um, I can tell you what I like about the president. I can tell you what I wish the president would do better. Uh, and I can tell him, you know, and I've, I've told people that the word sycophancy is not loyalty. The word sycophancy is closer to selfishness 
and closer to self-preservation. Sycophants are people, Don, that they really only care about themselves. Because if they were telling the truth to the people that they're supposed to be loyal to, that would make that person's life a lot easier. I, I can go back to my days at Lehman Brothers where the guys around Dick Fole were making a lot of money and they were telling Dick Fole what he wanted to hear. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, oh yeah. And, and, and that, that caused the, a catastrophe at that business. So, so I appreciate you bringing me on. And, uh, you know, you probably have some people that traditionally listen to you that will not listen or they'll shut the podcast off or whatever it might be. And that's fine. But I think they're making the mistake. They're the ones that are closing their minds to the intellectual discourse. And I think our combined advocacy makes our arguments sharper and our lives better. We're, we're not made worse. And our founding fathers certainly didn't believe that. We are not made worse by the debate. If anything, uh, you need the debate. I do write this in my book. You need the debate to make things more clarifying and to improve things. Uh, if you just think about intellectual Darwinism, it should be the survival of the fittest. What are the best ideas? It shouldn't be about left or right ideas. It should be about what's right or wrong for our society and for the people. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's been crazy. I, when you think about the fact that Berkeley, California used to be the epicenter of free speech, and now when they have anyone even slightly center of left, then they shut it down. And I, I it's, it's been, it's been strange. Um, and, and yeah, not, not exchanging. I'm finished at Tufts university. They What's that? I'm not allowed to, uh, you know, they, I, I had a 36 year relationship with Tufts university. Uh, they asked me to resign from the Fletcher, uh, school of law and diplomacy board after being, you know, a fairly large donor to that university because of my Trump support. So, okay, no problem. And, and and that was the reasoning. That's that's all they said. Well, they they the, the students put a petition together, and they they said that I mishandled myself in the White House, and so I didn't handle myself in a decorous way that was deserving of the Trump board. And so they 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 wanted me off the board. I had a thirty six year relationship with the school. One of the students wrote that I've uh, I've lived an unethical life. And so anybody that knows me knows that that's very much so the opposite. You know, I paid all my taxes and uh, I've been on Wall Street for 30 years, never had an ADV violation or a U4 mention even. And, uh, you know, listen, uh, it's fine, but you can't call somebody unethical without any substantiation. But they decided to do that. I asked the university to put out a statement saying, on what basis do you find me to be unethical? The university said, oh, no, we can't do that. We could, we could inflame some of these young students that we're babysitting for at $70,000 a year. I said, uh, no, no problem. Uh, but, uh, you know, it is, it is what it is. You know, that's how it goes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm fine with it. By the way, they've saved me millions of dollars. I, I had, uh, you know, lots yeah. of money planned to go to that place and, uh, I'm moving it over to my, uh, children's other schools. And, and, but that's, what's going on now. You, 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 you're literally in a situation now where, and it's terrible, but it's totally true where you can't speak in certain areas of the country. You're literally shut down. Yeah. No, that's, that's what breaks my heart. 
Um, so let's let's talk about also some of the things you said. You know, do I agree with everything the president's doing? No, I think the like if there's one thing that that we're really hitting on here is also in some cases double standards of hypocrisy. Um, you know, it is kind of hypocritical that you know free speech is you know tolerance and free speech are okay as long as it's exactly with what I want to say. some of my uh, really close friends have said, okay, you know, how can you defend some of his tweets? And I'm like, I'm not defending him. And matter of fact, there's one thing, uh, speaking of the hypocrisy is, you know, uh, if I remember correctly, our first lady, one of her missions was, is to cut down on bullying, especially online bullying. Um, Like, (laughs) as a teacher that also enjoys social media and, and like enjoys promoting it, because I think that you can showcase the good in what you do, um, how is Donald Trump, um, like, what do you, what is his mission by using Twitter and saying the irresponsible at times infantile things he does? Well, listen, I mean, he, he would tell you that that was the real secret to his success. Uh, he would tell you that the mainstream media had him targeted and was trying to eliminate him from the campaign. And had he not been successful in bringing to bear the Twitter account, other uses of social media, and you know, I talked to the president on Sunday, and he told me, and I haven't verified it, but I'm pretty sure it's true, he has 168 million, uh, 168.5 million uh, accounts, meaning followers from Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera. And so, so for me, uh, uh, you know, I disagree with a lot of things he said on Twitter. I disagree with some of the things that he's done. I'm not in love with this new ad. I don't know if you saw that ad that posted. Yeah. I think the ad is too racially charged. I think it's, it doesn't help us because we're going to win better or we should win better on our merits than from a racially charged ad like that. And so, it just, to me, I don't think you need to be doing that. Having said that, he's president and I'm not. And I think he's uh, made a case, rightly or wrongly, uh, that he's, uh, he, he got there through this process. So even if you're on his team, love the guy, want to see him do better, him saying these sorts of things or doing these sorts of things, um, you know, it, it's unfortunate, actually. You know, it, it does, it's, not, it's not helpful. But he thinks it's helpful. And by the way, you'll never convince him otherwise. So people that say, oh, yeah, I'd love to find a person that says, oh, yeah, he listens to me, and he does basically everything that I tell him to do. Okay? You tell me the person that's saying that, and I'll identify for you the big fibber in the room. Because unfortunately, it's just not not the case with him. Right, 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 right. Well, I... Again, as a teacher and as a father um, with two daughters and, and a son, I... Every now and then I scratch my head and, and, uh, cause I'd be just as critical, um, you know, with, with any other sitting president. Um, and that's been the, the tough pill to swallow is that uh, like for better, for worse, we're one of those families that like, okay, he's our president. Let's, let's make what's best for the country. And, you know, being a libertarian, I haven't had a winning dog in the show, Hardly ever, but um, you know that's that's what we that's what we did, and the just online behavior sometimes is baffling, especially in light of the some of the good that's going on. Um, that that sometimes like 
you know, uh, instead of focusing and, and doubling down on what's positive, yeah, you, you, you throw in some really bad campaign ads and some really mean-spirited tweets, and I just, I don't get it. That being said... Um, look, I mean, here's the thing, though. Now you have a question. Uh, that stuff is a turnoff. It's now a debate between policy and personality. And so now the question is... And this oh, is, yeah. This is the great debate going on right now. Uh, is the president's personality a big enough turnoff not to accept some of the policies that are working for America that are causing the economy to boom and creating better growth, better opportunity in the markets. And so I, yeah. I, I, I don't know how to answer that uh, for everybody, but I can answer it for myself. And it's probably because I've had an up close and personal view of the president for the last two years. I have an enormous amount of respect for him as a guy. And I know he's by and large trying to do the right thing. Yeah. No. And, and, and my gosh, it seems like it's not just the United States that's going through this, this policy over uh, personality. You know, I, it was kind of funny. I was in the airport and I was watching uh, some of the, the um, news, CNN news about uh, Brazil. And this guy started talking to me. He says, Hey, you know, look at this craziness. And I said, Oh, are you from Brazil? He's like, yeah, I am. And, um, and he looked familiar. We just kept talking and I'm like, wait, aren't you a race car driver? He says, yes, I am. It was Tony Kanan. And he was talking about the fact that they had, they, their economy was so lost that they, it just elected somebody that was not likable. Let's put it that way. And right. they says, you know, there, he says, there's been so much corruption. There's been so much loose crony capitalism money that yeah. all of a sudden they, they doubled down on the guy that may not be likable, may not be even like, at times embarrassing what he says and almost mean. He says, but we want discipline. And I was, he's like, that's kind of what we're going through here. And I'm like, you know, you know that that's happening in our society right now. And you know that that's happening right now for the president. I mean, one of the reasons why they're going after him with the vengeance that they're going after him is they don't want their business model and the way they've run their life to, uh, to end. They, they like it and they're very forceful about it, you know? So, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's, a, it's, it's one of these things, man. You want to go against the system. There was a guy in the paper the other day uh, who was going up against the CIA, and uh, he wrote a book in the 1970s about it. Uh, I read his uh, 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 obituary, and he died at the age of 88, and they totally dismantled and destroyed this guy, even though he was telling the truth about the CIA. And he said, you know, in hindsight, I wish I hadn't done that because they were so mean-spirited towards me uh, and they hurt my family in so many different unexpected ways. I would have been better off just keeping my mouth shut. It's very hard to quote-unquote beat the system. But the people are fed up with the system. And the president, again, whether you like him or not, has done a good job of exposing the system. Yeah, well, well without a doubt. I mean, I think that's that's one of the things that you know, when we were off air, I was talking to you about the fact that I thought for the first time in my life, I was going to see a libertarian get 15% and he did not. And so in talking to some of my you know, friends, and again, I'm not overly political, but I was asking people like, what happened? And a lot of people I talked to, they had a change of heart. They knew that the libertarian didn't have a choice and that quite frankly, I'm not trying to be mean, they didn't like either candidate. But the reason why they chose Donald Trump is they didn't like government. 
And they they and, and I'm using my friend's words, voting for him was the biggest middle finger to yes. politics as usual. Orange wrecking ball. He was yeah. a, right. He was a, he was a wrecking ball. The establishment were the pins, and so yeah, it's like your friend with the race car experience. But but look, I, I I tried to explain to people though, it could not have happened without the decline of Clintonism. Uh, she took for granted those areas. So after 30 years of neglecting blue collar people and what they wanted, what their mandate should have been from the government, uh, they neglected that space. And so it, it, his rise was concomitant with the decline of uh, Secretary Clinton. And so, so, I mean, it's just the truth. And so we just got to hold it for exactly what it is. No, I agree. I, I just, um, <laughs> the, the way things have gone down, a little scary to me. Now, speaking of the way things gone down, um, you might, uh, you know, I know you joke around on how many thousands of seconds you're in, uh, in your position. 954,000 seconds. Well, that's impressive. Um, AKA 11 days. Uh, you go into the book a little bit about your personal opinions on how it was handled. Um, but I also enjoyed the fact that, you know, you kind of put there in the beginning of your book, I've never been allowed to give you the whole story. And <laughs> in watching some of the interviews you've done recently, I now understand why, because you get three words in and um, you're, yeah. But uh, you have on most, most of these shows, you know, I mean, and unfortunately, it's their show. So, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, I handle it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. But uh, now that, you know, the, the book's been written and, and you, you know, kind of were critical on, on how it was handled and how it went down. Um, the right thing would have been for what? Um, what do you mean? Uh, how, like, you, you kind of alluded that, you know, it, some of these things might have been like reason for possibly um, being dismissed. But if you could, you know, not necessarily change the outcome, you were still let go. Uh, how do you think it would have been handled better? Well, listen, um, there's, you know, we can say whatever we want. I made a mistake. They used that as a reason to fire me. But at the end of the day, I was reporting directly to the president. So it made total sense to me that the new chief of staff coming in would want to replace me. He certainly wouldn't want me reporting directly to the president. Moreover, he probably wouldn't have accepted me subordinating myself to him because then there would have been stories, oh, there's a shadow chief of staff in there. This guy used to report directly to the president, right? So I got the notion that there was a regime change. And with that, and remember, I've run companies and I've had to fire people during a merger period. So I got all that. But I just think when, when I raised the amount of money that I raised for the president, gave him personally the amount of money I gave him, plus the hundreds of hours of media advocacy, I don't think I needed to be fired that unceremoniously, I, you know, uh, they could have said to me, hey, don't want you here. Let's create a glide path to get you out of here by the end of September or by the end of August. And we'll, we'll, we'll make it a uh, personal decision by you as opposed to unceremoniously firing me like that. That was totally unnecessary. You know? And by the way, if you ask the president straight up on that, I think he agrees with that. I think, I think upon reflection in hindsight, um, you know, I've been friends with the guy for 20 years and I've given him money and uh, time and energy. There was no reason to do it that way. Uh, they fired Steve Bannon on the same day as me. Uh, and because he was a naval officer, uh, Kelly gave him two weeks uh, to, to, to get his affair in order, get his affairs in order. So why did he do that for me? 
I mean, he didn't have to, he didn't have to make a quote unquote example of me, but it's just a reflection of him and his management style. And it's the reason why he's effectively failed the president. You know, the best, best thing that Reince Priebus has going for him is John Kelly, because they're racing to the bottom as to who could be the worst chief of staff in U.S. history. Moving. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so the other thing that's, that's been interesting is, is your transparency. Um, that, that was a tumultuous time. It, it, it took, um, and I can't imagine, I, 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 my wife is my best friend and, and you were pretty forthright on, on how it, it really, um, those are some rocky times. Um, since then, talk to me a little bit about Mooch and the Misses. Well, I mean, listen, I mean, we love each other. We were going through a rough time, rough time personally. Uh, you know, frankly, some mistruths were said about both of us that uh, we probably each individually shouldn't have believed. There was also some uh, stress related to uh, what I would say was an overactive ego on my part. Once, once uh, Rice Previs blocked me from my original job, I probably should have... Uh, uh, gave up, so to speak. And I write about that in my book. I should have not allowed my pride and my ego to get in the way of my decision-making. And I did allow that. And so I have to own that. Um, And so anyway, um, you know, she was stressed out about that. And then when I, when I went and took the job and didn't give her enough heads up about it, and uh, we started on a path towards divorce, uh, then it then it made it very easy for the opposition research people that were supportive of people like Ryan Spreevis to start writing and fabricating stories like, oh, I missed the birth of my son because I love Trump. I mean, it's just a bunch of nonsense. Okay, she, she, she delivered three weeks early and I was on Air Force One. I couldn't get back in time for the birth. And believe me, uh, it's one of the big... Uh, on mis- misfortunes in my life, but uh, thank God the kid's healthy and we were able to patch up our marriage. And so one of the things about Mooch and the Misses is that uh, it's cheaper than therapy, Don, right? I can get on the, I can get on that show with her and express to her um, the, uh, um, the openness and the clarity about the need to heal. Okay. And, uh, and that's it. You know what I mean? And that's what I was trying to do. Yeah. No, I see that uh, you guys are seven episodes in and uh, you've talked about a little bit and it looks to be doing real great. And no, I just, I can't imagine the media circus and all that and all the stress and having a new baby and everything else. And it, it is as a dad, it, it kind of bugged me, but um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, there, if there's one thing I'll say, I mean, again, a guy that's trying to be political free, a guy that, just basically wants what's best for kids. Um, it, it, it's, it's good to have a conversation and not have name calling. I appreciate the fact that, um, you know, we, we've had a little bit of uh, talks on Twitter and uh, the fact that, you know, I, I was up front and saying that, you know, I'm not necessarily a fan of the president, but I'm also not going to bash. And I, I just want to thank you for having a, a level-headed discussion uh, about, in some cases, politics, in some cases, money. Yeah, I'm hoping that uh, uh, one, one of the things for Mooch and the Miss, if you get a chance to listen, I'd love to get your feedback. We try to do that. She she can't stand the president. You know, I mean, she really <laughs> dislikes him. And so uh, we have to try to have a legitimate, reasoned conversation. Uh, and she makes some very valid points. And so, you know, listen, you know, 
We can all do better in life. Uh, I'm super thrilled to be back with my wife and my family. I've returned to my business. And, uh, you know, it was a very humbling experience to get blown out like that. And hopefully I did that part of my narrative a good service in that book by just letting people know, hey, you can make mistakes. I made a ton of them. But it's how you pick yourself up and how you go about forgiving yourself to move on uh, so that you don't live a life of uh, too many regrets. Not that I haven't had regrets. It's just that I am willing to forgive myself for stupid things that I've done in my life. If there's not, that's just the best way to end that segment. I totally agree. Those are some great words of wisdom. All right. So the book, Trump, the blue collar president, Anthony Scaramucci. Thank you so much for being on the show. Don, all the best to you and your family. Let's stay in touch.